Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Adventure Options Podcast. This week, I had the pleasure of interviewing my first Nepalese guest. His name is Raj, and he is the founder of Social Tours. Raj is a hoot, and I cannot help but laugh my way through the interview. I think it might surprise you what Raj says he loves the most about Nepal. As always, this podcast is sponsored by Adventure Writers, copywriting for the travel industry. If you need a copywriter, go to adventurewriters.agency for help. That's adventure, W-R-I-T-E-R-S dot agency. Now for the show. Raj, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. You are my first interview from Nepal. Fantastic. That's an honor. It is. And I learned something that is embarrassing that I should have known. Nepal is not on a normal time zone. That's right. We've got a few peculiarities and that's definitely one of them. It's like 15 minutes off the hour. That's right. Um, We're just above India and... uh, that caused a little bit of a problem, and because we are sovereign and uh, we wanted to be different, we said, "No, we can't take that." So we said, "15 minutes." And it and is people different. People keep asking us why, uh, and we just say, "Yeah, because we can." <laughs> because no, yeah, because we get to choose. I didn't know that. I want to choose a new, new weird time zone. That's cool. That's very cool. Yeah, we love it. I will have to say I had to double check my math on the time difference to make sure that I was giving you the right time, like, like five times, because I was just terrified I was going to get the wrong time to you. (laughs) Oh, it messes up, messes up with everybody. Don't worry about it. I think it's really unique, though. And I'm surprised I just did not know that before. I guess I have not, you know, made the trek to Everest yet. So I did not know about that. So are you from Nepal? I am from Nepal. I'm from the west of Nepal, but living pretty much in Kathmandu now. Okay. But you, your company, Social Tours, it was a creation from when you were living in the UK, correct? It's, it's a bit like this, actually, if you want to hear about that. Um, I, was, uh, I was working in uh, trade, and I was working in fair trade a lot uh, in the late 90s. And somewhere along the way, I partnered up with a, with a British uh, friend of mine. That's where the British comes in. That's where I up. got. Th- I knew I didn't make that up. I knew I didn't make the UK <laughs> up. I just for some reason thought that you were living in the UK when this all came about. Not at all. I was in Nepal. And then we started this company called Made in Nepal, which was an export uh, solutions company. And then eventually, one thing led to the other. And we finally ended up... Uh, setting up a factory, um, selling sweaters to H&M. And wow. that was uh, a, big, a big thing that we did and uh, was one of my biggest learnings that you can actually um, compete at the international level uh, with companies like, uh, you know, with companies in China and India and still be able to uh, do the right thing here in Nepal. Um, H&M does not have a good rap, but, uh, you know, at the factory level, we did everything right. And uh, it was possible to be, to be done. And we did that for about four or five years. But the bottom fell out of the manufacturing industry in Nepal. And that's when I switched to tourism, uh, mostly because I had some experience with uh, conducting uh, 
tourism that had a cost plus model where we had the cost of the tourism and the plus was for social work. And, uh, and that was really uh, eye-opening, was really fulfilling. We did cataract eye camps, 250 operations for free in the villages, you know, using tourism money. And we thought, wow, this is something that I can really take on to the future. And when the bottom fell out and I had like a natural gap in my career, I said, you know, well, moving into tourism then. And that made complete sense. So um, at that point, uh, yeah, switched careers and uh, thought about social work and tourism, which is where the idea of social tours came in. But mostly because I could get the website. (laughs) You know, nowadays you have to think about that. Every website has been taken. That is so funny. But it is true. You do a lot of social good. I was reading, you did some stuff for a school. That's right. Yeah, that is something we started. Actually, my wife and I started uh, somewhere in 2005 when there was a little inquiry from a, from a project that was starting up in Germany where students could open up companies. It's called the Agenda Einenswanzig in Germany. It was Agenda 21. And that uh, project allowed uh, students to open up companies it's called the Students Company. And they were trying to start set this up in uh, in, in Germany, and uh, somehow uh, I think the email came to my wife, and uh, you know we explored the possibility, and that resulted in now a 15, 16 year old partnership, uh, you know, running through five schools in Germany and Holland, and uh, you know helping schools here in Nepal. It's quite an amazing project. That is amazing, and I imagine that it gives you that boost of energy you need to keep working on the projects that you're working on when you see, when you can physically see the social results of your hard work. Yeah. I think that's awesome. It is also wearing a few too much hats, but yeah, <laughs> you're right. It is a lot of hats. It is true. But they're good hats. They're stylish hats. So it that's works. True. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now, did you grow up in like the tourism world? Did you grow up traveling and touring with your family? Yeah, traveling and touring, yes, uh, but not necessarily in the tourism business world. Um, in my uh, in my family, everybody's uh, uh, a worker. I'm the only entrepreneur, I think. So I'm the one who runs a company, but the others don't. Yeah. But that's cool. Like, what kind of places did you go as a kid? What kind of places and things would you do when you were a kid? In, uh, I lived in uh, India most of my life. I had about 25 years in India, so moved around quite a bit because uh, my dad was in the army. So uh, moved around from the northeast to the south. To basically, I've seen most of the places in India except the big hotspots. Let's put it this way. Um, and so I've done a lot of movement in India, and uh, so that part of it was there. Not a lot of international travel until you know I started my career later on. Uh, but yeah, there was a lot of uh, things to see and that always influenced me. I'm quite sure. That's the best kind of travel though, is the stuff that's off the beaten path that not everybody gets to claim that they, that they got to see or that they got to visit. So that's cool. Yeah. And it, it does result in a lot of stories. <laughs> okay. I want to hear one. Oh, uh, one of the first stories I have is actually, uh, when I was in school in the Northeast of India, uh, there was this guy who had gone to the States and he had come back with a lot of, uh, you know, little knickknacks, um, you know, Native American headdresses and, 
you know, holsters and stuff like that, you know, and then uh, he gave a little talk in the school. I think I was uh, probably 12 years old or something like that. And he gave this one hour, two hour talk in school. And I felt I was so impressed with what he had achieved. And, uh, you know, those were the days of, you know, still thinking cowboys and Indians. And, uh, you know, for, for me, it was like, wow, man, I want to do something like this. And, you know, lo and behold, look at me now I'm in travel. So, you know, influences there. Yeah? So there's a lot of influences in life. That's awesome that that's what he brought back from visiting the U.S. It wasn't like stuff from New York or whatever. It was the Cowboys no. and the Indians. <laughs> yeah, it was crazy. It was, uh, it was, And it was perfect fit for us. Maybe he had other stuff too, but because he came to school, he brought that. I have no idea. <laughs> it's what captured the attention of the kids. That's awesome. I guess. And I did notice, so I spent quite a long time on your website, mostly because it was super intriguing. And I just, mm -hmm. I kept, I kept going from experience to experience on your website going, okay, no, that's the one I want to do. And then I would read the next right. one and I'd go, no, that's the one I want to do. And then I'd read the next one. It was just incredible. But some of the things that you offer, you, um, and are, is it you offering these things or do you kind of like partner up? with other tour guides and stuff that are already there? Uh, most of them are uh, things that we offer direct because these are products that we have developed ourselves. Uh, but there are some that we also partner up. If they're technical uh, stuff like rafting and stuff like that, then we might have to partner up with a technical company. But most of the stuff is uh, products that we have designed ourselves, experiences that we have designed ourselves, so we deliver it. And it's such a wide variety of things. Like you said, there's like whitewater rafting. Um, you can go, you know, to base camp in Everest. You can do all these trekking things. And then you have the complete other end of the spectrum as well, where you're doing like yoga retreats and yeah. um, going. Uh, one of them that just sounded so fascinating to me was it was the shaman graduation. Why don't you tell us That's about right. that? What that is? That just sounds fascinating. Uh, yeah, that's a very fascinating ceremony that happens uh, in the August full moon. The August full moon, I noticed in other parts of the world, is also a bit of an occult moon. And uh, it's interesting here what happens is that uh, the shamanism is always, uh, there's no school for shamanism. There's uh, only learned through apprenticeship. And uh, the apprentice actually has to do a full night dancing in a high mountain lake, you know, uh, to turn into a full shaman. And that is, uh, so, you know, I mean, if you put a modern twist to it, that's the graduation in, in a way, right? So, and that always follows in, falls in August and uh, it's an August full moon. And you got to, I mean, they do it in all the different mountain lakes up in the mountains because uh, the mountain lakes are considered holy because it's considered, legend has it that Shiva, the god of destruction, uh, used to uh, land there to purify himself after getting the world rid of evil. And when he took on all the evil, then he had to go and relax. And Shiva is considered to be the ultimate yogi, the ultimate shaman, you know. So, so they go to these mountain lakes. And this particular one that I have on the website is up to 4,300 meters, uh, where you have to trek for at least uh, four or five days to get there. And uh, so you go out there and then uh, locals also follow. And they also dance along with the shamans and the shamans do their special dance. And uh, yeah, you, you get uh, very deeply immersed. That comes in our be immersed uh, section. You get deeply immersed into uh, a very deep rooted culture of uh, shamanism. 
And do they do they really dance the entire night long? Pretty much. They're also pretty drunk, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess you could say we do that t- here too. It's just at the club. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> That's pretty funny. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> that just sounds fascinating, though. It sounds like one of those cultural experiences that would change you forever. Like something that you could not witness and be a part of and then just walk away not being changed. Yeah, that I think is uh, actually the angle that we are targeting the most, uh, especially now. It's about transformative powers of travel, you know, and that sort of idea is something that we're trying to take forward. And uh, also Nepal uh, next year is uh, doing the Visit Nepal year, you know, and uh, the tagline they have is uh, lifetime experiences. And if you want to connect lifetime experiences, you know, I mean, it's really transformative. So it's really amazing uh, to be able to uh, deliver that from from another angle, you know, which... uh, is not just a view, take photographs and put it on Instagram, but really changes people's, people's lives. Definitely. I would say almost even a spiritual experience for people, even if they're not religious or whatever. I imagine that would be a very spiritual experience to be there for that. Yeah. And, and also, uh, shamanism existed everywhere in the world. It was wiped out, you know, uh, you know step by step by religion. Right. You know, a lot of them were just burnt on the stake in Europe and stuff like that. So, you know, I mean, naturalism, uh, you know, uh, shamanism, herbalism was always there. And this part of the world still has very deep deep roots in it. And it's also disappearing. So, but it does have, you know, a really warm feeling when people come in touch with it. Because I think somewhere in the back of our heads, we still have it. Definitely. And you say it's a once in a lifetime experience. but Here's what I noticed when I looked at your website. It doesn't have a once in a lifetime price tag. Like the prices seemed incredibly reasonable for the amount of days and the things that you get to experience. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, that's, that's the other side of it is to, uh, you know, allow all these things to be accessible as well. We, you know, we do, uh, you know, you'll be surprised how many people think it's very expensive, but. Uh, you know, at, at the same time, we, from our side, we, we feel like you know, specialty stuff should be accessible to people. It should not be exclusive, and it should not be, you know, out of reach of people. And that is, uh, you know, we we do want to make a decent profit. And I still haven't been to Hawaii, but you know, uh, and I want to go there too. And but you know, um, but uh, at the same time, I think, uh, you know, if you control greed, there is a way forward here. And I think that's where we are targeting. I mean, we even have. A couple of our experience don't even have a price. Uh, people pay what they think it is worth to them. So I saw that. I think uh, one of them that I saw that on was um, to cook with the locals or to learn how to cook like a local. Something like that was the title. Which, that's right. Yeah, that is our bestseller. Actually, you won't believe how many people come for that. Um, I would believe. I would totally come for that. <laughs> I because I imagine uh, Nepali is it Nepalese food. Nepalese food would be That's similar. Right. Is it similar to Indian food? Uh, kind of and kind of not. I mean, uh, the Indian food has got a few more spices than Nepal does. So our, 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 we say our taste buds, it stands out a little bit more. So we've got, uh, it's not uh, a mixture of a lot of spices, so, but it stands out a little bit more because it might be more garlic or ginger or something like that. 
You have got uh, to got stop. Stop. <laughs> because I'm like salivating. <laughs> a food tour and okay everyone who listens to this podcast i swear every episode i end up talking about the food because it just right. there's just something about the foods of the world that are just oh it's just amazing but to learn how to cook it would be amazing so do you just partner up with i mean uh local people there or is it one of your guides that is taking you into a kitchen to teach you how is this working no, this is actually happens at our office. Um, we have a kitchen. We started, a, that was one of the first projects we started after starting the company was to actually um, have a canteen where um, everybody gets a hot meal, you know, for a, for a nominal price. So we, we decided that we're going to pay for all the overheads and then uh, control the pricing a little bit, but at the same time, make it a project for the chef so that the chef can take money back home, right? So that was the concept. And but our chefs were so good at cooking, we said, well, why don't you teach some people how to cook? And the initial reaction was, oh, I don't speak English. But then, uh, you know, a few months of support and, and it took off like crazy because, you know, food is a common denominator among all of us. And uh, I think people are always attracted to that. And, this, uh, and then, uh, yeah, you know, this is, uh, we go over a lot of people over the year uh, and it's a, it's a big hot seller, you know, and it's again, because of, there's no price, it's accessible to everyone. The interesting thing I was thinking about it the other day was, uh, you know, people who are staying in a five-star hotel or people who are staying in a hostel, they both come to cook at this, uh, you know, at, out here and have discussions over the table. And I personally think that's probably the only time they will ever meet, uh, you know, because they're in two different worlds, if you like. Um, in from a price point, from a you know, from everything, you know. So it's kind of interesting that our little course brings them together. And that's, uh, that's beautiful. It's like a a realistic melting pot. It's a melting yeah. pot in every sense of the word, in the cooking sense and in the cultural sense, and in the bringing people together. And it's true what you said. People do travel very differently when you when you're staying in a hostel versus staying in a you know yeah. five-star resort and you usually don't rub shoulders with you know the two no. groups don't mix yeah that's beautiful that that's happening and it's because of food because everyone says that good. love is the international language and i think it's food <laughs> it is food and uh now you know we just extended that last year uh because my wife works in a coffee shop that is working with uh, this, uh, the coffee supply chain called Karma Coffee. And now we've combined that into a hub here in Kathmandu, which is fast becoming one of the most popular hangouts in Kathmandu where, you know, we offer, again, the specialty coffee, which is all 80 point plus coffee that we have here, which is Nepali, is offered again with no price. So, uh, you know, pay what do you think it is was worth to you? If it was, you were groggy in the morning, it was probably worth more uh, <laughs> as opposed to, you know, somebody forcing a coffee down your throat because you're sitting in a meeting, you know? So, um, and, and so the, the, the whole concept out there is making specialty accessible uh, so that everybody can enjoy it. And I think that has really brought people together. It's really amazing to see that, that happen. I love that. Another thing that you offer um, was, uh, oh, one of them that I just sounded so interesting was, I think it was called Breakfast with a View. 
and it's where you go eat breakfast and you have yeah. a view of Mount Everest. So here's my yeah. question on that one. Do you have to like climatize yourself for that one as well? Um, not, not really. Acclimatization actually takes a little bit of time. So there is actually a four hour to six hour window that you have before your body starts reacting to an altitude situation. Um, I mean, people react differently. So this is quite a short experience. It takes about, um, your breakfast is about half an hour and you're at about, you know, 14,000 feet, you know, so it's uh, about 4,000 meters. Uh, and then uh, it's quite an exclusive thing because you go by chopper and, you know, you, uh, you land out there and you have a little breakfast. Uh, the brave ones will even have a little bubbly, but, you know, the others don't. And then uh, you get to this ridge where you can see Everest and come back. So for people who have not a lot of time but really want to take that off their list, uh, you know, it's one way to do it. The other way to do it is, of course, walk six, seven days, and which is actually much more fulfilling, obviously. For many reasons but uh yeah for the people who can't do that then the breakfast on everest is quite an interesting uh, new uh product that is available in nepal this is we partner up with people on that one obviously because we don't vertically integrate so don't have choppers <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome and to put that into perspective i used to live in colorado and the mountains right. in colorado the highest mountains in colorado are called 14ers because they're at fourteen thousand feet you, I mean, I've hiked a couple of those, but it takes all day to hike to the top of That's it. Right. And that yeah. is the feat is being at the top of that. And so to just imagine that that is your resting point at the bottom of the view of Everest, it just blows my mind how tall the mountains are there. And, and Everest is not the only one. In fact, you have yeah. a tour that also, okay, I got to stop saying this because all of them sound so fascinating. But you have one that's called um, Five by Five Thousand. Do you know what I'm talking that's about? That's right. Yeah. 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 Tell tell our listeners about that one. Yeah, this is a little twist we made of the Everest track because everybody goes on the Everest Highway, which we like to call it a highway because people go up and down. Uh, you know, they land at Lukla and then they go up to Everest and come down in maybe between eleven and fourteen days. Uh, and we said uh, the first time I went there uh, in 2004. I thought, you know, only the people on the trail were making money. So I was not very happy with that. So I said, well, maybe we should go into the side valleys. So this trip actually goes on the side valleys and do, does two other high passes. And, uh, and so we designed a trip that was looking at uh, five 5,000 meter highlights. So, you know, we're talking 16,000, 17,000 feet highlights in, in the Everest region. So there is uh, two passes, uh, one peak, uh, one viewpoint and Everest base camp. And that, you know, and that makes it into a small circuit. Uh, and that also, so, so it becomes a little bit more of a challenge and it's very interesting. I was just leading that in November uh, last year with a group of Germans. And uh, I mean, it's, it's so fulfilling, you won't believe it because you do, you do all these high points and uh, yeah, you come back with a real once in a lifetime because you probably never repeat it. And it's, it's quite a phenomenal experience. I mean, there are tears, there are uh, painful legs, uh, sometimes altitude sickness, you know, everything that can happen can happen. And you come back and you'll never forget it ever. So do people have to train for that one as well? I always recommend training, obviously, because, uh, you know, having a fitness level always helps. But uh, at the same time, walking is a natural activity. 
uh, you get used to it very fast because uh, the human body is made for it. So, you know, it doesn't matter what your condition is. Within day three, day four, you start getting used to your body. Your breathing and walking starts, you know, getting into rhythm. And by day seven or so, you feel like a super person, you know, and you can go on for hours usually. That's normal for everyone. But if you have training, it uh, lets you be very tired in the evenings, but wake up fresh. Definitely. I feel like a super person after three days of hiking. So <laughs> that's right. Yeah. That's always there. And I yeah. enjoy it. I enjoyed myself doing it. Yeah. That one does sound so fascinating to me because I mean, it's a little, I'm assuming it's a little safer than the Everest ascent. And, but you still yeah, yeah, get that course. magic of the area. Do you know what I mean? Like you still of course, get of course. all of the, the feels of being in that area and of accomplishing something really cool. How many days is that one again? That's um, between 18 and 19 days, 19, 20 days. We can, you know, it depends on the, uh, what condition people are and how, how they want to, you know, look at. because everything we curate it uh, to individual requirements. So we'll be asking people questions before we start. That's so cool. Are you backpacking in your stuff the whole time? Uh, yeah, well, actually, in Nepal, there are two ways to do it. One is to carry everything yourself, but uh, most of the time we provide employment to other people. So you've got porters, you've got guides, you've got assistants, you know, you go in a big team. And um, that helps the employment generation as well. Plus, it helps uh, travelers enjoy the holiday one step at a time instead of worrying about what they're carrying on their backs. Uh, yeah. That kind of reminds me of what you put on your website as your three goals or three main, yeah, I think goals is the right word, where you say that uh, you want it to be sensitive to the environment, be sensitive to the culture, and con contribute yeah, yeah. to the local economy. And that's kind that's of what right, you're yeah. saying. Give jobs to other people, but be sensitive. So what are you doing to be sensitive to the culture? Uh, most of the time it is, uh, you know, there, there are various, various things we do. One of them uh, also includes being uh, culturally inclusive in the office, things that people don't think about a lot. And, you know, so we are, you know, we've got 150 different ethnicities in Nepal and trying to be, you know, you can either have everybody from the same ethnicity or try to be a bit more culturally inclusive. And that I think this is something that we do on one side. On the traveler side, it is actually more about Nepal is so popular for its mountains that people forget that there are also people living in this country. So we try to sensitize travelers to also understand that, uh, that they appreciate culture, they appreciate the food, they appreciate the lifestyles that we're living in. Uh, Nepal has a lot to give to the world in terms of uh, how to live, I, I, I believe, because of the nature of the Nepali people. We live in a very tough situation with earthquakes and, uh, you know, we live in an in a earthquake belt. Uh, it's really tough environments living in the mountains. Uh, sometimes there's no water, sometimes it's too cold, sometimes it's high passes, altitude. But there is an attitude of the people to be very gentle and friendly and fun. And I think this is something that uh, the world can learn from us. And I think this is where we want people to be culturally sensitive, is to actually start appreciating that. So the feeling being that uh, since there's a buyer, you know, giver relationship that you have in tourism, uh, if the buyer appreciates you, you're going to retain that longer. So if people retain, like our food, then we'll probably eat less pizzas, you know? You see what I mean? <laughs> I don't know. 
pizza pizza is really hard to I know that's a tough one. With. That's a tough one. Okay. Pick a <laughs> different <laughs> one. Pick hamburgers. Yeah. We'll eat less hamburgers. Yeah, pick hamburgers. <laughs> that's already good. Not to eat too much hamburgers. I'm just kidding. That's what a beautiful story. What a beautiful company. I didn't even think about, you know, the um being sensitive to the cultures in the workspace, like you said, that there's so many ethnicities in mm-hmm. Nepal. There's yeah. like what, 25 million people in Nepal, something like that. About 27 million is what we have. Yeah. 27 million. Off yeah, by but the two joke million. is that you know Nepal is. Yeah, the joke is that Nepal is so mountainous that uh, if you took a big hammer and beat it to shape, we'd probably be bigger than China. So. <laughs> if you, if you fillet it down like a. Like a schnitzel or a milanesa, you. Yeah. <laughs> That's actually pretty funny. I never heard that. I bet it. I bet you could. <laughs> That's a good one. So when you are not in Nepal, when you're traveling other places, what do you miss the most about Nepal? Other than um, your family, because it's going to have to be your wife, yeah. right? Because she'll she'll be mad if yeah, it's not it's her. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's the family. I mean, of course, uh, you know, my daughter and my wife, uh, mostly. Uh, but apart from that, actually, to tell you the truth, when I travel, especially to the West, um, I miss the chaos of Kathmandu. Uh, I think I thrive in chaos. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a strange feeling. It's almost uh, sadistic, I think. But uh, I, like, I like the chaos that we have. I mean, there's so much uncertainty. I have, you know, I'm supposed to have a meeting in, like, two hours and I don't know if the person will turn up. I really like it that your meeting shifted earlier because, you know, I can't follow time anyways. So, you know, that sort of stuff, I really thrive in that. And I think this constant movement is really uh, something that I miss. I find, uh, you know, I'm going to Berlin in a couple of couple of weeks for, the, for one of the travel fairs and I find it too organized. Everything is too organized and everything is too happening. You know, I mean, my, my wife is Austrian. And when I go to Austria, I mean, you can eat off the streets out there. It's so clean. Yeah. I can't stand that. <laughs> you, you're crazy, Raj. I am. <laughs> no. Because <laughs> that sounds wonderful. I would love to live in a city that's clean enough to eat off the street. But it, you bring up a really good point. There's so many um, personalities in the world. And I'm not talking about people. I'm talking about cities and countries every one of them has such a unique personality you can go to some of the island nations and it's so laid back nobody's on time for anything it's just it's you go with the flow it is so laid back and then like you said you can go to other nations that are just you're on time because that's um respectful there and that's what is expected of you so that is funny that you bring that up and i love that you love the chaos Especially amidst all of the uh, tidying up craze that's going around right now. I love that you love the chaos. (laughs) (laughs) That's beautiful. Raj, it has been so fun. (laughs) It has been so fun to talk to you. And I, you've ignited my spark of wanting to come to Nepal and to just, Try all the uh, the adventures, especially you had a uh, family friendly one or a family trekking one that I just think would be so life changing for my children. I just think that's amazing. So I applaud you and all your efforts. I love the how you're giving back socially to you know different local organizations, but also 
through jobs and through inclusion. I just think that's wonderful. I always end these interviews with two questions. And the first one was, where's your favorite place to be? And so I'm going to narrow that down for you. Where's your favorite place to be in Nepal? Like, where is your happy place in Nepal? And then the second question is, what piece of advice do you have for our listeners? Right. Uh, good questions. Uh, favorite place in Nepal is always uh, somewhere in the mountains. Um, anywhere, really. It doesn't really matter because I think that's where I really feel tiny uh, in comparison to what we have in front of us. And I think that is an amazing uh, you know, base to get back to try and feel that because uh, we are so uh, emboldened in the world uh, as people, you know, because of the communication that we have and the businesses that we run and everything that it's very important to actually go back. And I think in the mountains, you really feel tiny and that's really amazing to feel. Uh, that, that definitely is a favorite place. Uh, advice to listeners, I think um, no matter where you go, travel is an important uh, learning tool. Uh, try to make uh, sure that you come out the better out of travel, um, even while lying in a beach, you know, even when uh, just uh, doing something that's always learning. And I think uh, travel has got this amazing capability to expand one's horizons. And uh, I think uh, this is something that if you keep at the back of the mind, you can always design your travels, you can always think about it, uh, not as a, just a bucket list things to do that you just tick off a list, but, uh, you know, you really make that a life-changing experience. And I think, uh, I think that is the way to travel. Um, you know, I, I really like that sort of travel. So that would be my advice. Well said, Raj. And thank you so much for coming on the podcast, sharing your time and your experience and your wisdom. And namaste. Namaste. You got it really nicely uh, pronunciated. Shana here. Don't you just want to go to Nepal now? It was very obvious throughout the whole interview that Raj loves where he lives. And that seems like a great way to live. Until next time, a la vida.